Imagine being able to ask any question about church issues and practices at any time. Imagine getting a response in 24 hours or less. Imagine a team led by Tom Rayner answering your questions. It's like having your own church consultant on staff, and it's only $14.97 per month. That's only 49 cents per day, and there's no long-term commitment. You can try it today at churchanswers.com slash subscribe. You'll also get a free virtual staff meeting led by Tom Rayner every single month. Again, join us at churchanswers.com slash subscribe. Got church questions? Get church answers. Hi, and welcome to EST. If you love the established church, this is the place to have conversations about why the established church matters, how to better serve her, and to hear stories every week about how God is using the church for His glory and our good. The show is hosted each week by Sam Rayner, Josh King, and Micah Fries. We're glad you're here. Hey, what's up, and welcome to another episode of EST. My name is Josh King. This is episode 83, and I am joined with my good friends Sam and Micah Freeze. How are y'all this morning? Tired. Great, man. Oh, yeah. listen to that. Sam's I'm, tired. I'm, I, know. I know. Well, I just got back from a trip to, to New York. Oh, New York. So. That's right. New I forgot York. about that. Did you but guys by the way, uh, pay attention to what's going on in Long Island? There's some really neat established churches. So shout out to Mike Rubino, Cornerstone. Um, I know he listens to the podcast, man. They're doing some awesome stuff up there. That so seems like Rabino. it should be like a Mike Rabino. I was going to say, that Rabino. sounds like someone born and raised in yeah. New York, man. Well, I'm, Island. I'm totally I mean, stereotyping, but that's what it sounds <laughs> like. No, no, no. It's all right. It's not, Mike wouldn't mind. Listen, he's got Rabino. stories, but I can't share them on, <laughs> on the podcast. So somebody's going to get offed if you do, right? <laughs> it's going to be the end of Now it. Josh is really stereotyping. Rabino... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't talk like that, Josh. He doesn't. Okay. No, totally disappointed. No, he's got a long. Awesome. I, he's got a long island accent. But by the way, they're great people up there. Great. That's awesome. Well, you know, I don't talk like this, but people think I do. Well, I'm from to, Texas. To to the people on Long Island, that is probably how you sound to them. <laughs> that is true, actually. <laughs> well, shoot fire. Um, did you guys get up uh, after we're recording this, or the time that we're recording this? Did you guys watch the royal wedding? No. My children woke – well, yeah, one of my daughters ran in early in the morning and was like, Daddy, are you watching? And she was watching it on her phone, and so I turned it on for a little while. I didn't watch a whole lot of it, but I did watch a little bit of it. Okay, well, I can still associate with y'all since y'all didn't watch it willfully. <laughs> There's no, a big I party did, I, here I, in I, Dallas. I, I, didn't, I didn't even pay attention. Yeah. I heard about some wedding somewhere. Some folks are getting married. Yes. That's good. I'm, I'm happy for them. Uh, congratulations. Let's talk about – pastoral housing um in back in the day you know a lot of churches had what's called a parsonage if you're not familiar with one of those i grew up in multiple parsonages did As you did I. I i sure did yeah i grew up on military bases but the you know if you're not familiar with a parsonage they are church-owned homes not retirement homes built by church money but church-owned homes that uh, usually the pastor will stay in traditionally that's where the pastor lived it was part of their salary and um then over time it seemed like staff would stay in them the pastor got paid a little more now around the dallas area most of them have even have either turned into if the church has it most of them just sold them off but if the church still has one they use it for interns like you could put multiple interns in them or like if missionaries are coming through you know and they need a couple months to stay somewhere 
um, just to get some rest and things like that. Do either of your 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 churches have them? Do you have one, Micah? We do not have one. No, Brainer doesn't. We do not. No, um, Sam Diddy S Diddy does. Yeah, no, we are the exception because we have four parsonages all adjacent to the property. Are any of them vacant? Because my family could, you know, come and hang out with you not, guys. Not, no, they they're pretty popular down here because rent is so high, oh, and yeah. homes are a little they're well a, a lot above what a normal home would cost just because we're coastal Florida. So no, we we definitely get good use out of them. What um, do you have, have in them, like staff? Yeah, we have two staff. So part of their pay package mm-hmm. is uh, free free rent, basically. Sure. So it, it enables us to pay people more. Mm-hmm. without paying them more um, because they get free housing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, uh, so two staff, our Hispanic pastor, Spanish-speaking pastor, Carlos, my um, life group pastor, Tim, he's in one. Um, we turned one of them into offices because we're renovating and we need the space. We're needing more life group classrooms. So we moved some staff out of offices, and we made one of the houses uh, offices. Um, and then the fourth one is just kind of a rotating mix of people. Sometimes it's a church member who... Just needs a little help for a couple, three months. Uh, sometimes it's missionaries. It just depends. So we Josh, do have I'm, one that remains open. Josh, I'm pretty sure I just heard Sam mention our vacation home is is, is what I heard. Anyway. That's what I heard. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I, you know, if you guys be nice to me for a little while, I might. I, might <laughs> I love. Be able to work I love how he said that with a lot of uh, uh, disbelief in his voice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just sounded like brothers talking. If y'all be nice to me, exactly. I might share. <laughs> I, might, I might work something out. <laughs> Stop slapping me on the back of the head. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Um, does that does I, this make me the middle child? Am I the middle child in this relationship? Oh, I think you are. Which Mike is the, Mike is the older brother. I'm the oldest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Josh is the baby. I'm the oh, baby. good grief. I'm the middle child. Josh, how yeah. old are you? I'm 35. 35. Okay. Yeah, I'm 38. Yeah, I'll be, I'm 39. There we go. Um, so do you have a lot of rules? Have y'all, what is the, let's say someone's pastoring a church and they have a parsonage, but they're not in it. So like student ministers, family stays in there. Do you have a lot of rules on what happens in that home? Yeah, we do. We have a lease agreement that we make people sign. Is it just typical rules, or do they like do they like kind of venture into moral legalism? D- d- well, okay. What do you mean by moral legal? Like, you know, you, you can't throw <laughs> fra- you, you can't you can't throw keggers at, at the yes. parsons. You know, okay. we, we we make that very clear. That, that makes you know, sense. Makes sense. If you're if you're out in the backyard smoking pot, that's going to be a problem. Smoke that stuff in your house. <laughs> um, the uh, there's just a little regionally here a little bit of a stir up over a student pastor and his wife hanging out in their house and imbibbing a little bit and uh it got it made a big uh big fight hey so uh, you guys i'm i'm an idiot um it just occurred to me I, I i never think about it as parsonages but our church does own multiple homes and i hadn't even thought about it until just right now we keep interns in them but yeah we do actually own multiple <laughs> homes we don't use them for staff members so i don't think of them as parsonages but we <laughs> we Brainerd, own multiple homes on either side of the church <laughs> Brainerd intern your pastor really loves you thinks yes, about you all the time i do i think about all of them yeah yeah That's anyway funny we own a ton. Micah just Micah just had one of those <laughs> oh those people moments. Oh those well yeah. it wasn't those people as much as I just don't think about the fact that we own yeah, anyway. Yeah. How old All right, is our so, oldest brother here? He's uh, losing his mind. The uh, I, feel, so, I feel really small right now. I mean I think that you should have some guidelines, some rules. I don't think you should go overboard in, in dictating what happens inside of a family's home, but 
um, definitely some guidelines would help if you're a church with with those properties and you don't have any sort of like lease agreement, then you're just asking for trouble. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah and from a liability perspective, you need to have something there. I mean, just something in writing to so let people know the kind of the ground rules. Our first home once we were married was a parsonage, and you guys have lived in parsonage. Do y'all have any funny stories, anything going on that, that was kind of crazy? Oh, my, I'll tell you, we, we lived in a parsonage at one particular church in one particular location. I'm not going to give any details <laughs> because of what I'll tell you. I, I still remember. Okay, so for me, the most awkward part of living in a parsonage was sitting in a church business meeting where they would vote on whether to do repairs in your home where you live. And yeah. I remember one of the deacons getting up and say, somebody had proposed some repairs for the parsonage and they were desperately needed. We were in, it was not in good shape. Someone proposed some repairs and one of the deacons got up and said, I think that's way too much money. I think we need to spend some more time and find the cheapest way we can possibly get this done. And we need to make the cheapest possible uh, corrections to the house. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember sitting there thinking, man, this is really awkward. And I feel like they don't like us very much. <laughs> they just, they, you know, and, and it, it just, it just reminded me that sometimes living in a parsonage can be awkward. Yeah, because they see it as church property, not as well. But home. even, I mean, even if it was church property, I would still argue. Sure. He, and he didn't mean, by the way, let's do a really good job. Just find the most economical option. He was saying <laughs> what he was saying was, we don't really need to put any money in this. Let's just do the littlest bit we can do and get by. That was his argument. I should have clarified that from the beginning because I'm all for saving money and doing it in the most economically possible way. I mean, I think right. that's a good idea. No, he was trying to say, let's go buy cheap products so that we yeah. don't have to spend any money on this. Economic and cheap are different. They're very different. What about you, Sam? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so I grew up my childhood in St. Petersburg, Florida, um, close to downtown. And, you know, my dad just didn't make – I mean, he's told the story on his podcast. <clears throat> I remember stealing peanut butter out of the church pantry. <laughs> um, just to just to have food. So I mean, we were we were pretty poor uh, when we were living in Florida, and I didn't know the difference. But, but we did have a parsonages uh, parsonage, and uh, they did tell us to to you know not run the washing machine, the air conditioner, you know, all of these different things all at certain times because the the power bill was getting was getting too high that's mm-hmm. funny yeah so i, I we, we, i've been there i've been now i don't re- i just know that through my dad i yeah, don't know right. it um I, I don't remember those times they kind of i was a kid so they kind of protected me from i it. was uh, i was out of high school when that happened so i remember it really well <laughs> <laughs> i my, i do uh, remember the one i you know this is maybe this is just because i was a strange child and probably i'm still a little bit strange but um one of the things i used to love to do until my dad caught me was to go out in the backyard and and dig a hole until I hit water because the water table was so high. I just thought it was fascinating. And so when, when my dad walked out in the backyard of the parsonage and he saw all the holes filled with water, he kind of got mad. I don't even know <laughs> if he remembers right. that one. But, uh, yeah, I, I certainly have memories of the steam coming out of his ears when he – Right, right. <laughs> he I was probably hoping memory. that the deacons yeah. did not come by at any moment. Right. We are – like I said – We were, my wife was the secretary of our church and I was the student pastor. That was, that happened after we were engaged. We both got hired on by the same church and the parsonage was part of my package, even though while we were engaged, obviously we couldn't live together. So she lived in the parsonage. I bummed a room off of some members there. We got married and that was one of the weirdest, living in a parsonage was one of the weirdest, as a staff person, experiences of my life. You could go out our spare room open the window and reach your hand out and touch the side of the fellowship hall. It was that close, like really close to the campus. And one 
evening. Um, I'll just really never forget it. The pastor was very young. I was much younger as well. And um, I'm washing dishes standing at the sink, right? And I look out the window above the sink and I see our pastor kind of pull in. And and uh, it looked, though, like he was looking toward our house. And um, so he'd drive real slow, kind of staring. I could see him just as clear as day looking at our house. And then I ran to the other room where he drove around the side and peeked through the blinds. And he drove real slow looking at our house. And he drove in front. You could drive on three sides of our, our house there. And he circled our house three or four times just watching whatever we're doing, you know, just kind of seeing, making sure we're not, I guess, smoking pot in the backyard or something. <laughs> but it was just one of those weird occasions where you felt like, I don't want to live here anymore. You know, you felt like very trapped. So I don't know. Those were the weirdest experiences. But I only grew up. I, I didn't grow up in a parsonage. Like I said, I grew up on military bases. But that yeah, was. I, I grew up in odd. both. I grew up in both. Josh, military bases and a parsonage. Multiple wow. parsonages. So, so let, let's talk a lot of a lot of guys that are getting started starting out. You're going to go to a church um, in a setting, and likely for a lot of our listeners, you're going to have the option of a parsonage or no parsonage. That's right. Um, sure. What What do you do? Mm, you know, I, I would argue, so this is from personal experience. When, after we left that really horrible church where the pastor was, you know, stalking us and stuff, we went to a place and we, we were just newly wed. We were just within the first year of our wedding, our marriage. And we said, we were looking for a place to rent. Everyone told us, you need to buy buy a three-bedroom, two-bath, two-car garage home. There's just two of us. We should have rented. We had that home, I don't know, for 10 years of our marriage, even though we had gone to other churches. We just couldn't sell it in the word. So if you're if you're just starting out and you have the option of a parsonage, my experience says go ahead and go into the parsonage. You can always, well, I guess if you take that as part of your salary, that's the problem. If you take that part of your salary, you can't really buy um, a home if, if, if you're paid so little. So I would say it depends on your life stage. If you're very early on in your life stage, go ahead and take the parsonage. Um, but at some point you're going to want to buy, I think. Yeah. And that, investment that's about what I would, that's about what I would say, Josh is, you know, if you're in your mid twenties, just getting started and you know, unless you know that, you know, that, you know, that you're going to stay in that community forever. Uh, I would take the, I would personally take the parsonage option too, even though, the pay's probably not going to be as great, but there's a lot more flexibility that comes in leading a church in that way. And by the way, you just get lots of good stories. Yeah. You're just going to get—I mean, you're going to get these parsonage stories, and, and and you know, then you'll be able to tell people about them. They're, they're a lot of fun. And if you forget, you get, you get people looking into windows and just stuff. Run, yeah, I know, it's so fun. Yeah, I think um, to, to the question though, I think there is some level where you have to ask. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's a number of variables, but at some level, you have to ask how well are you preparing for the future. So I do think there's a really good point that living in a parsonage early on can be a really good idea, can be beneficial to you. Uh, the question is, does that last for a long time? And if so, what are you doing to prepare for the future? Are you building up equity? Do you have somewhere to live? I mean, mm-hmm. unfortunately, there are too many stories of pastors who lived in parsonages their entire ministry get to their end of the ministry and their retirement age and. They don't have a whole lot of money saved up. Um, you know, the retirement is thin, and they don't have – they've not spent 30 years paying for a house, so they have no house to live in either. And uh, I can I can count on, well, more than two hands, 
uh, specific examples I know of pastors who struggled then at the end to know what to do, you know. And so I do think, I think both of you guys are right. I think it can be a very helpful asset at the beginning, but you've got to think long term about how you plan for the future. And, And here's the thing, everything, and pastors sometimes forget this. So let's say you're getting started out or you're making a transition. Everything is negotiable on the front end. And don't mm-hmm. be afraid to negotiate. So if, if they're like, hey, we've got, an, we've got a parsonage, blah, 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 and you know, here's your pay scale. Don't be afraid to dig in. Do the research. Find out what's fair. Don't be afraid to say, all right, if we live there, will you pay for utilities? And then take, take the amount that you would be paying for utilities and put that in savings. Yeah, I mean, that's right. there's all sorts of things that you can do to protect yourself from um, the situations that Micah has described. And and you definitely need to be putting money aside for a future house. And then just just realize that when you go into a church, they're often very excited about you. And those are the times to kind of set the expectations. Is there you any sort to... of strategy you could employ where you're talking to them and you're saying, yes, okay, so we're going to go in, I'll, I'll stay in the parsonage, but, uh, you know, after three years, because if you... I don't know. I just see a church, you know, after a time having a problem with raising your pay when yeah, the no. when the parsonage and, is sitting right there, unless maybe you're hiring another staff person. Right, and and that's that's the downside, no doubt. It's it it you know um you know you stay in a parsonage, people think you've kind of got a freebie and all that, even though you really don't. And pastors just typically don't get paid what they need to get paid. My mm-hmm. point is, set proper expectations on the front end. Um, you know, I, it, and this is kind of outside the scope of the conversation that we're, you know, you can tell people, hey, can you, you know, can, we give, can you give me 30 days of transition or two weeks of transition? Um, if I'm going to stay in the parsonage, do you mind paying for utilities? I mean, there's, you know, there's all these questions that you can ask and you don't want to be, you know, you don't want to ask for too much because then you come across as egotistical and arrogant. But right. there's some very reasonable things that you can ask for up front that will help you have a good ministry there. And let's just be real. Most guys in their mid-20s, recently married, maybe they don't even have kids yet, um, that are going to go into uh, a situation where they're uh, at a church. It's likely you're going to be making one or two more transitions in your life, uh, Mm -hmm. just realistically. And, you know, that's not climbing the ladder or anything. I'm just being realistic. Um, You know, don't don't be afraid of, you know, I think I wish more pastors would take these churches that are, you know, not all that attractive <laughs> established mm-hmm. churches spend five years there making them a little better than when you arrived and leave it well for the next person we need people to do that yeah and, and oh by the way you're going to learn a whole lot about people in the process yeah, what are right. some other issues i think you bring up a, a a good topic here about as it relates to pastoral housing um part of your package those sort of things if you're trans, if you're going into a situation, what are some other factors related to housing that maybe you should ask for or think through? I think one of them you mentioned there is, you know, how appropriate is it if, let's say, you do own a home and you're transitioning to a new church away from your home, you're going to need to move. Is it appropriate to ask for help on paying two mortgages or how, what? What's your yeah. advice on that? Yeah, I've, when I've transitioned, I didn't, I didn't ask for help paying two mortgages. I just said, would you guys help me with rent while I'm trying to sell my house back wherever it was? And mm-hmm. and, and, and most of the time what the churches have done is, yeah, we know somebody who's a landlord, mm-hmm. and they gave That's me a right. place, you know, like real cheap while I was selling a house. And I was just real with them. I said, guys, I'm going to struggle unless these things happen. And most, almost every time the church is like, yeah, we can do this, or let's get creative, let's do this. And it's when they really push back hard on you. 
you got to ask yourself the question: like, do I, if they're going to push back hard on this right now, right? Is this really a place that I want to go to? What else? What about like moving expenses, those sort of things? Yeah, I've I've always asked for uh, help with moving expenses. Yeah, or absolutely. or if it's a, if it's a small church, just guys with strong backs. Mm-hmm. That that makes sense. A horse trailer and strong backs. We've done that before. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. I've done that. So do you? I've heard it said. I think Dr. Criswell said this that, and you know, he probably stole it from somebody. But the pastor should live in what the average person, you know, um, of your church lives in. That you know, drive the average. So you should you shouldn't be like the best. You should. Now he lived on Swiss Avenue in in Dallas, which is at that time the nicest neighborhood in Dallas. But the what do you think about that sort of mentality? So if you're negotiating your your package when it comes to housing specifically. Should you be looking around at, you know, uh, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like there's there's different parts of town. And, yeah, probably that package could pay for this part of town. But most of your membership is coming from this part of town or something like that. Should you kind of uh, work – how open should you be about that sort of considerations? Uh, you know, I wouldn't go down that road of let's look at average pay of the church. That just gets really muddy. Um, and trying to even not to mention that that's out. that's really an almost unknowable number. Yeah, to be honest with you, I get the spirit of that. Like you want to be just kind of an average person in your own congregation when it comes to pay. Like you don't want to be underpaid, and you know relative to the rest of the church, and you certainly don't want to be overpaid relative to the rest of the church. I get that mentality, but I, I just there's so many other variables. Like you know, what if you have your doctorate and you know or PhD and you know and you, you, your education level might far exceed some of the people in your church, and and you know maybe that warrants a little higher pay. I mean, it just it, there's just so many variables there, or it could be that you just have very very limited experience, like you're just getting started, and you're not going to get the kind of pay that somebody who has 20 years experience may get in could, ministry. Could um, either of you explain uh, housing allowance? How you claim that? What is it? It's going away, so don't worry. Well, no. <laughs> I actually don't think it's going to go away, but it's definitely. Really? I, really? Re- I really think it'll be overturned. But right now it's, uh, but yeah, right now it's uh, supposedly it's, I mean, the judge has ruled against it, so. Okay, so explain. Well, I mean, it's it's fairly simple. I mean, just if you're ordained, if you're, if you're even ordination is actually not technically the, the designation by the government. It's basically if they've, if your church has approved basically ecclesiastical affirmation of you, I can't, I think the language is somewhere similar to that, then you're allowed. Licensing would apply. It, it depending on the church, licensing could absolutely apply. Um, basically, you're, you are allowed to designate whatever portion of your income you spend on housing as non-taxable income uh, in terms of um, uh, in terms of your um, I just went blank income tax now it doesn't remember this though housing allowance does not apply to the self-improvement uh, self-improvement <laughs> self-employment Self tax that mm-hmm. that pastors some have people to pay. need a self-improvement tax uh, some people need a <laughs> yeah evidently my I need one today I can't get my words out <laughs> um, anyway yeah so um, 
one of the things I remind people about is is it does not apply to your self-employment tax. Remember, pastors have to pay self-employment tax, and if the church doesn't pick up half that self-employment tax, then we pay basically double the tax rate that the average church member pays. And so, uh, but the thing about housing is basically anything you spend on your housing can apply to it. So not just your rent or your mortgage, but any up- upgrades you make to the house. Um, products that you purchase for the home, all of those things are applicable. But the key is you've got to designate that number at the beginning of the year. You can't get to the end of the year and say, okay, this is how much I spent. That's what I'm going to claim. Right. And there's 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 limitations to it. So it's the lesser of, and I don't want to bore our listeners, but it is the lesser of your claimed amount at the beginning of the year, your fair market rental value for the house, and that includes furniture too in there, um, or the actual expenses on the house, so you got to take the lesser of those three. Right. So it's 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 kind of hard to game the system, so to speak. Yeah. You really need to think through it, and and you need to do it all on the front end of the year. Make sure you have formal documentation. That's right. If you ever get audited, you know they're going to ask for like a. It could be something as simple as a, a letter signed by the personnel committee, or, or even your financial director. Just make sure you have that documentation of this is the amount that I'm claiming for the housing allowance. It reduces my gross taxable income. And then when you report your taxes, you report the lesser of numbers: fair market rental value, uh, actual expenses, or the claimed amount that you made at the beginning of the year. I don't. I don't think you're boring anybody at all. In fact, I, I think I run into people all the time who have never really dealt with this. It's not a class in seminary, and so. They start dealing with these things and trying to figure out. And the the problem is when you go to a church, uh, let's say you get hired on at a church and the, the, the your predecessor, you know, had all of this figured out and was making a nice life, you know, figuring out how to do their taxes well and stuff. And then you look at the pay package and you're like, uh, I can't live on that because maybe you're thinking about paying taxes and these sort of things. So it really helps to kind of get your brain around ministers taxes whether they change or not the situation i a long time ago and for the past 12 years i've had the same accountant um, doing my taxes i've never personally met this guy but i send him all of my stuff he sends it back and he is an expert at ministers taxes and that's why i use him no matter where i am and i've been at three or four different churches but it helps to get your mind around that or help. Josh, let me, so let's mention one other ancillary factor that relates to the housing allowance, and that is um, your Social Security payment as pastors. We, we have one of the unique, um, well, call it whatever you will, but we have something that's different <laughs> than other people in that pastors can choose to opt out of Social Security. And I've actually had a couple of our staff members at our church ask us about this. Should I opt out of Social Security? And the reason they asked that is because their accountants or their tax professionals were recommending that they do so. They said, well, this is a no-brainer. You can spend that money better on your own. Uh, You should opt out of it and then invest that money, and you'll get a much better return. So uh, let me say a couple things. One, I think a lot of pastors don't realize that to opt out of it requires you to basically – Um, sign an affidavit. It's basically affirming that you have a theological objection to the Mm -hmm. use of your income for Social Security. I have a real serious ethical objection to pastors who withdraw from Social Security for economic reasons. In fact, if you read the the language, it specifically stipulates that you can't withdraw from Social Security for economic reasons, that that's not a viable reason. And I do think there's a concern with the number of pastors. The other issue is I think we have good intentions. Those who do withdraw have good intentions of withdrawing and then investing that money in a better way and then often just don't do it. 
and right. uh, and I, I so I think for that reason as well, so, it's a really so good far, idea to to so far stay listeners. In. This is hugely important, um, and it's it's something that you need to know about wh- wh- whatever decision you make. You need to make an informed decision. It's Form forty three sixty one, you know, technically with the IRS, and you need to read that language in there very very carefully. You do, um, and it's hard because there's a lot of commas and semicolons in there, and if you're a grammar Nazi like me. You're trying to figure out exactly the intended meaning of that particular section where it says you can opt out and here's why. It's very hard. Mm-hmm. So you need, to, you need to pray through it. You need to read that language very carefully. Mike is right. Don't just opt out because, oh, I can save some money um, because that's not a good reason um, to, to opt out. But there is you know, some technicalities in there, and it's a ruling with the IRS, and if you can – you know, honestly say, okay, I have a religious conviction in this way, then it is an option for you to, to opt out. That's right. It's definitely something that everyone needs to think through. Make sure that you're not gaming the system, as, as we've said here, but um, know, know your options as a minister and, and what it is that you need to do, mainly because my point is this, that sometimes the search team, whether that's elders or committees or whatever your your, your policy is there, they under they might understand some of this, and if you don't, and y'all can't communicate on this when you're talking about your pay, that's sometimes why it's there. There's such a distance between what you think you need, what they think you need, those sort of things, and so really you need to, um, you know, educate yourself on something that affects your finances and your future and your housing and all that sort of stuff. So parsonage, pastoral housing is a a, a big deal. So. Yeah, and the Social Security thing, that's an irrevocable decision. That's so right. Once you make it, it's done. You can't go back and change your mind. Yeah, that's right. exactly um, right. But if you've worked a certain amount of time paying taxes in, I forget what it is, like 20 units or whatever. That's it's right. just Four, more It's education. called 40 credits. 40, 40 credits. credits. So whatever it is, credit you a quarter. figure that out. So um, it's all different. It's all personal. I would really advise you to talk to a tax expert or a financial planner instead of just some preacher buddy that you know. Because absolutely, information that's the truth. Is different. So um, that's all the time we have for right now. At the airing of this episode, we three will be in Dallas, Texas. But I want to invite all of our listeners to uh, come to Dallas in October. On October fourth, we're going to have the EST conference right here in Dallas, Texas. We are constantly sharing out information. Shared out a link. Um, well. This morning, I'm recording this a couple of weeks ago as you're listening to it on um, how to register for the EST conference. We hope that you'll be there. Dr. Tom Rayner will be our, uh, what do you call it, main speaker? Our main plenary speaker. And we'll have to ask him about the holes filled with water in the backyard. Yeah, we'll try to get him to tell us all sorts of Sam I wonder if my stories. dad even remembers that. I don't know if he'll remember. Man, I'm he pretty sure he'll remember some Sam stories. That's all we need. Yeah, but he's going to share the ones that I don't want him to share. That's what we're looking for. That's what we're (laughs) looking for. All right. Thanks for listening to EST. We'll catch you next week. Peace. You've been listening to EST, a discussion for the established church. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, as well as subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcatcher. Thanks for listening. Support for EST is sponsored by Pastor Talk by Lifeway. Join host Marty Dern as he interviews pastors, professors, authors, and other ministry practitioners. Pastor Talk gives you tools and encouragement to shepherd your flock well. Subscribe to Pastor Talk in iTunes or your favorite podcatcher or listen online at lifewaypastors.com.